The title of my message is Clothed in Christ, Not Just My Sunday Best. I'm not even going to lie, I shared with a few people I was really tempted to turn up in trainers and a tracksuit today. But my diligence and my duty told me otherwise. Christian life is hard sometimes, huh? Have you ever experienced pain, betrayal, disappointment, discouragement, unforgiveness? Stop me when there's something that relates to you. We've all experienced and endured these things, and the likelihood there is not a single person in this room that is exempt from them. But as we start our journey this afternoon, I've discovered in my own life sometimes that pain has a remarkable ability to expose the impurity in my own heart. It offers me the opportunity to grow, to move forwards in freedom. Somehow, somewhere, if you allow it to, pain can be a critical and central platform for revealing where you need to grow most. And the life that you desire as a Christian today is always determined by the disciplines that you keep. And your life must always be full of the Word of God and the grace of God. So if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn with me to Colossians 3, and it's verses 12 to 17. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you as richly as you teach and admonish one another through all wisdom in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you've ever been on any sort of journey with Jesus, you will discover that Jesus did not come to show us what God can do. Jesus came to show us what one man or one woman could do who was rightly related to God. Our obedience is not exclusively measured in our ability to obey God's laws and principles, although they are helpful. Our obedience is always best measured in our response to God's voice. And the first word you read in verse 12 here, Paul says the word, therefore. Your translation may say, as a result of. And it acts as a bridge from the first 11 verses where Paul reminds us that we are dead in Christ, the old has gone to put away bad virtues, etc. And he now propels us into how we should conduct and live our Christian walk. And that is a beautiful reminder for us that we are dead to our sin this morning. Amen? Amen. 
that you are new in Christ and you are called to put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. Said differently, it tells us and confirms that the old you, the old me, has been discarded, abandoned, put away. Which means everything relating to the old me has been discarded, abandoned, and put away. Those desires that are ungodly, the ego, the pride, the sense of entitlement, all those attributes and qualities that we may have possessed pre-Christ have died because we are now dead with Christ and we've been gloriously restored and God has made us his. Amen? Which forces us a question, how should we live in the light of this truth? We need to live how he wants us to live, not how we think he wants us to live. And there can be a very, very big gap between those two standards. We are called and commissioned by God to put on the garments of godly attitudes in every single relationship that we have. So I want you to take a, take a moment, look around. Are you putting on godly attributes and qualities in every relationship that you have in this place? And if not, why not? We don't get to pick and mix who we demonstrate our compassion, our kindness, our grace, our humility to based on who the person is, maybe the nature of the relationship, the longevity of the relationship, what that person can or cannot do for you. It is all-encompassing, all-consuming expression of God's love that we have. And we need to accurately model it. No excuses, no explanations. More importantly, we have been chosen by God. We have been set apart. What a privilege, what an honor for each and every one of us to choose to embrace that today. 2 Timothy 2 verse 10 declares, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's Paul, probably my best or favorite, sorry, relationship in the body of Christ between Paul and Timothy. Paul's kind of like an old man at this point. He's gone through everything. Probably the greatest religious authority figure on the earth after Christ. And he takes Timothy out of the classroom and on mission with him. And he more or less shows him, this is where I've made mistakes. This is where I've had an ungodly heart and attitude. This is where I've failed. This is how you can live right for Christ. So verse 12, God's chosen people, holy and loved. Three key features. And I don't want us to overlook the importance or the value of that reality. Right the way through scripture, you see story after story where God chooses specific people at a specific time with a specific set of gifts and skills and qualities to do a specific task to further the kingdom of God. Take a moment, look around. Genuinely, look at your neighbor this morning they have been chosen to the level that you have been chosen to do a specific task in reaching a specific group of people at a specific time in the history of this city and this nation in the name of Jesus. You have been chosen by God. The King of glory has chosen you. Do not let your familiarity with that truth dilute the enormity of what I'm saying today. If you are saved in God, you're chosen by God. You're holy. You're set apart for his special purposes. So whatever your attention, whatever your affection, whatever your admiration for the person you love the most in this world, respectfully 
graciously, kindly, but honestly, God's love for you supersedes that a million times over. In the name of Jesus, that I can tell you with certainty. Because there is nothing and no one that will ever stop God's love being poured towards you, regardless of how you feel or what you are going through in your current circumstances. Because God is never on trial in your life. God has never failed you. Amen? He's not on trial. When he sends his word out, it achieves and accomplishes exactly what he sent it out to do. The word of God declares that God is not like man, that he should lie. So when he tells you that you are chosen, that you are holy, and you are dearly loved, I guarantee you, you are chosen, you are holy, and you are dearly loved in the name of Jesus Christ. He does not need to prove himself. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't change his mind. He does not withhold. He's chosen you for a plan and a purpose that stretches beyond the borders of what your own mind can construct, conceive, or even comprehend in the name of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it forces a question for us this morning. How do you respond to this long-lasting, limitless, and lavish love? Verse 12b, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I can't lie. I thank God that that is not an exhaustive list. <laughs> There's only five things. I don't know about you, but I've still got work to do in this area. Is there anybody with me? Yes. Anybody in the house of the Lord being honest this morning? Is there anything, any of these areas where I'm like, you know what? God has got to do a little bit of work on me in this particular quality and attribute. Whilst the list is not exhaustive, it is pretty concise and comprehensive. Realistically, we could spend the rest of our lives seeking to achieve just these five qualities. We're not called to live in isolation, but in intimacy with each other through our Christ-centered relationship, which means that we must sacrifice and service one to the other. And by the way, if you're looking for an out, there are no outs because you're new in Christ. This is applicable to you. You can't turn around and say, oh, I'm not a believer in Jesus. I'm exempt from this. This is for you to grow like Jesus. And what I find most striking for me is the first quality, the first expression, the first word that is written is the word compassion. And it stirred my heart again. In Matthew 9, verse 36, Jesus looks out to the crowd. He had one emotion. I'm sure there were a lot of things going around his mind and his heart, but he, the word of God declares that he expressed but one emotion. He looked upon the crowd and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has already shown each and every one of us all these qualities and all these attributes. And he's calling you and I today to exhibit those qualities and attributes to every single person you encounter. And I think each and every one of them act as building blocks, one upon the other, so that we can grow. But then he gives us more attributes and more qualities to cultivate and demonstrate. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance, your translation may say complaint or offense against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Question, how are we doing? How are we doing in bearing with one another? That's a hard one. Hmm? Anybody honest in the house of the Lord this morning? It's a tough one. How do we learn to bear with each other? 
where someone is in your life who is burning your last nerve. Yeah? Anybody want to witness in the house of the Lord, huh? And they're just like, Lord, give me patience. Be careful what you pray for. I always argue this. Be really careful what you pray for because if you want patience, God is going to put a whole ton of people in your life that are going to test your patience. Amen? I find it beautiful that it's also the first quality that Paul expresses in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Before it can be kind, it has to be patient. Bearing with one another. It's more than just tolerating. It's more than just putting up with, well, they sit over there and I'll sit over there and... It's you walking alongside someone. So maybe you're walking in unforgiveness this morning because you got to church late and somebody's in your favorite seat. Brother Scott, I am bearing with them in the Lord Jesus because they have taken my seat. Get to church early. (laughs) Fix the problem. Amen? You've got to bear with each other because I have found in our Christian walk we can be the best defense lawyer for our own struggles and sins and the best prosecutor for the person next to us. We always dismiss what we don't understand. And you might have your hang-ups, you might have your habits, and you expect people to bear with you, but your tolerance levels diminish hand over fist when it's something that you're proficient and professional in. You know, the moment you bear with someone, you honor God and that person. And you do it irrespective of how you feel. So you don't get to pick a mix. It's not, oh, I might demonstrate it to this person and not that person. I'll do it on Sundays. I'll put my Sunday best on. No, this is a lifestyle that you cultivate Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Each and every day, you want to exemplify and be a perfect example of Christ to every person that you choose to encounter. To forgive means to forgive the way Jesus forgave you to the standard that Jesus forgave you No picking, no choosing. We do not get a pass where we can forgive some people but not others. Jesus is the standard. Pastor Claudette read it at the start of our service, the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So the Lord already knew people are going to sin against you. People are going to let you down. People are going to disappoint you. But you have to demonstrate the first act, which is choosing to forgive. But how many of us know that that is easier said than done? And I know some of you are thinking, when is he going to turn to the portion of Scripture where Jesus says 70 times 7? I'm not very good at math, so I got my calculator out yesterday, and it comes to 490, if you haven't done that already. That does not mean the 491st time that somebody does something wrong to you that you don't now have to forgive. Forgiveness is a lifestyle that you craft and cultivate each and every day because you want to honor God in the name of Jesus Christ. It is a principle that is a godly principle because it's central to our faith. God forgave us our sin. Who are we to withhold forgiveness from somebody else? It's not something that we indulge in periodically if it furthers our own agenda or causes us to look good in the sight of man. Your ability and capacity to forgive always emerges as a direct result of the health, the strength, and the intimacy of your own walk with Jesus Christ. The closer you get to God, the easier forgiveness will flow into the hearts and lives of other people when they fail you. It's birthed out of a heart, perhaps, that has gone through some trials and challenges, but has navigated those challenges with integrity and righteousness 
that has subsequently produced humbleness and humility that you can't quantify. Forgiveness is always holy when you forgive in the name of Jesus. And when you forgive, by the way, you forget. It's not, I forgive, and I'm going to keep a score. You forgive. The Lord Jesus, he blots, blots our sin out. I don't know about you, I was terrible at maths at school, so the tipex was always helpful. That's what God does. He literally blots your sin out. And he banishes it as far as is from the east is from the west. Forgiveness always comes easier when your heart is filled with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, assuming that we've somehow navigated and, and, and found our way through those qualities and we start to affirm and accept them, what next? How do we behave as a result of exhibiting these qualities? Well, the Word of God gives it to us in verse 14. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love. Funny word, isn't it? We love a lot of things. But God's love is so pure, so rich, and so relentless towards you. That's the love that God has called us to demonstrate. Simply put, I believe it's honor one another better and more. The word honor appears in the Ten Commandments ten times out of ten. I believe that honor is when I treat you how God would treat you, irrespective of how you may or may not treat me. I.e., it's total objectivity. I don't allow my mind or my heart to become polluted by what I think you may or may not have said about me, what you may or may not have done to me behind my back. I look at you and I want to see Jesus. And that costs. Said differently, if you're wanting to grow, you're going to have to grow what you already know. Because all of your knowledge, all of your intellect, all of your information, all of your wisdom has produced the results that you currently experience in your life. So if you're looking for better results, you're looking for healthier outcomes, you're looking for stronger relationships, you have to grow what you already know. How many of us know that God sometimes doesn't want to do things for us as much as he wants to do things through us? And the Holy Spirit is our great help. The Word of God declares that. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us without measurement. So if there are any limitations, any restrictions, those have been set up on our side of the equation. And there is absolutely no point in praying for God to do something in your life if you've already decided what you want the outcome to be. Hmm? We've got to think about that in our own lives. How many of us know we serve a faithful God? Amen. Amen? God is faithful to us. He's faithful to a thousand generations. He's faithful to each and every one of us here. But God is not faithful to my attitude or my plan and how I may or may not choose to treat someone. God has zero obligation to honor and fulfill what he did not author in my life. Which means my heart, my life has to be governed and led by the power of his word and his Holy Spirit. Which means I must, and you, actively pursue wisdom that is uniquely and divinely inspired by God. And Paul gives us the answer in the very previous chapter, Colossians 2, verse 3. In Christ are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I'm convinced that transformation in any person's life emerges at the point where there is transformation in our mind that subsequently transcends to our heart. 
How many of us know that the 18 to 20 inches between your head and your heart is the longest journey for any Christian? Huh? We memorize scripture. We can quote chapter and verse, but we don't live it out. God wants us to live it out. Christ has called us to be clothed in him. This is what he is telling us to do. Because the way you think directly influences the condition and the content of your heart, and that will always influence what you live out. So I want to call you today, live in peace, live in love, live in forgiveness, live in joy, and live in victory. God's will for your life will never take you through tests and trials where God is not present. Every test and every trial is an opportunity, it's an invitation for you to mature and deepen your walk with God. And you can be certain that God's will for your life will never take you through a situation or in a place where the grace of God is unable to protect you. Which means you can now step out in confidence, in courage, and certainty that God will be with you because we know that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And for some of us here today, that's exactly what God is calling you to do. He's calling you to step out and reconcile that relationship. For some of you, he's calling you to be more patient with your spouse. For some of you, we need more compassion. Amen? Praise the Lord. Because as believers, I don't know, I think we've become really professional. Really, really professional. Put on my Sunday best. Look the part. Say all the right things. Outside, I might look great, maybe. Inside, I'm sick. My heart's ugly. My mind is unrenewed. It's perfunctory. It's superficial. It's shallow. It's surface level. Hmm. Maybe you're like some people I know that become proficient in spiritualizing their personal preferences. Don't do that, please. It's one of the most harmful and hurtful things that you can do. It will hurt yourself and it will hurt the people around you. How many people do you know that where they justify, oh, well, I'm not talking to him because he did this once ten, 10 years ago and you should know what his heart is like and da-da-da-da. No. And so now you don't talk to that person. You've spiritualized your preference not to talk to them. We attribute divine acceptance to what is in reality nothing more than our personal preference and opinion. Now, that's not to say that you can't possess an opinion And it's not to say that you're even wrong with what your preference is. But just because you place a premium value on it, just because you like it, don't make it more godly or holy. Unless it aligns with God's word. It's always the test. If it doesn't align with God's word, either I've got to change my thinking, because the word of God doesn't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Amen? And when you look and examine and explore the history of the church at Colossae, God already performed a miracle. Those guys were, were a motley crew. They were arguing, they were bickering, they were fighting, there was all sorts of madness and chaos going on. God brought them together for such a time as that. They were connected in Christ and in community with one another. Take a genuine moment, look around. I'm dead serious. It might mean that you have to look behind you, look in front of you, Turn your head 90 degrees. Look around for a genuine moment. Place is full. Now look at me. Realistically, how many of us would have met each other if we weren't in this church? Our paths would not have crossed. But God knows best, and he has brought each and every one of us together 
at this time, in this season, in this city, in this church, in this nation, to perform a specific task, to fulfill a certain season of our lives together. The reality is, if it wasn't for the love of God, which is the greatest expression of unity in the world by a distance, we probably would never have met. We would never have known each other. But God knows best. Love for God overflows in our love for humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave. No one here is perfect, only God. That does not mean that we are therefore exempt or excused from building each other up and encouraging each other in the things of God. We need to promote and present and protect the spirit of unity that Christ has ultimately given each and every one of us. Because Paul's here says very clearly that love rules and reigns over all the other attributes. Love fulfills them all. Now, I'm not going to get into a theological debate, okay? I have tattoos. <gasps> Whoa, the pastor, the letters are already starting. People are composing their emails as we speak. Scott.templeton at kt.org, if you're wondering, yeah? I'm not going to get into it. I have one scripture verse on my inside right arm that I try through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word to live every day. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. I can't do it in my own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. I need the power and the presence of God and God's word and his Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me in that. Because me, in and of myself, I'm insufficient. I'm inadequate. I fall short. I get it wrong. But that's how I want to live. But I can't give something that I've not got. You can't give something that you've not got. Love always comes from God, and it filters through you to others. Forgiveness comes a lot easier when your heart is full of compassion, but unity emerges when there's a healthy outpouring of love one to the other. Unity means that within the body of Christ there is health and harmony. That doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything all the time. Whether it is permissible for Christians to have tattoos or not, for example. But it does mean that you look at me, I look at you, and we go, how can we build each other up? How can we love each other? How can we serve each other in such a way that the world sees and goes, I want that? Because that's the end goal. So I need to forgive you, you need to forgive me, I need to love you, you need to love me, I need to be humble, you need to be humble, I need to be patient, you need to be patient. I need to be gentle, you need to be gentle. All these qualities and attributes, we're all called, it's the same job description. It ain't any different for a pastor standing on a platform. We need to move towards that. The greatest thing that aligns us and unifies us is God's love. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Do you know what peace does? Peace replaces chaos. Peace replaces pain. Peace replaces disappointment. Peace replaces entitlement. It replaces pride. The worship team are not here, and I'm not going to burst into song. Ah, But there is a line from a song that we know well from Maverick City, Firm Foundation. I'm not going to sing it. I've still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. You know, when you've got the love of God, when you've got the peace of God, you can go through the valley of the shadow of death and you know that you'll fear no evil because he is with you. Amen. And the peace of God is with you. 
And you might not be able to comprehend it or, or outline it or, or describe it, but you know that he is there. Does anybody want the peace of God in their lives? Peace is the substance of heaven's atmosphere that will change your thinking, change your attitude, change your heart. And if you want the peace that surpasses all understanding, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to surrender your self-constructed right to know. It doesn't work that way. You've got to have a confidence, a courage, a conviction, and trust in God that goes beyond your own comprehension. Otherwise, you don't need God. You've worked it all out. It's easy. You possess a contentment that is unaltered, untouched, untainted by your circumstances and seasons. You have a conviction in your heart, truly, that he is Emmanuel, God with us, and that he is sovereign, he is Lord over every aspect and area of your life, and that he alone can truly make all things work together for good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purposes. You've got to put your faith in what you don't see. You don't get the right, you don't get the responsibility of monitoring the things that you've left in God's hands. Oh, well, I forgave him. I better check. Lord, now how's he doing? Uh, I need a quick report from you next. No, no. You do your bit. You let God do the rest. The peace of God must rule in your heart. It's fascinating here. It doesn't say that it has to be present, just as it has to rule which tells me it's already present. The challenge for us is letting it rule because I don't know about you, but there's this thing called control and we love it. We want to control outcomes. We want to control every scenario and situation and season in our life. That's not faith. That's not letting the peace of God rule and reign in your heart. The peace of God will have to rule your heart and that ultimately will allow you to control and direct your heart in every area of your life because we know out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. We need to facilitate only one thing now. We need to respond in peace one to the other. Verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. You know, if the Word of God dwells in you richly, and I think the challenge for a lot of Christians is the Word of God dwells in us poorly. We know chapter and verse, but it dwells in us poorly. When it dwells in us richly, we can move forward because every word, every thought, every deed will, confirm, uh, will conform sorry, to his word but also to his will for our lives. We then get to minister one to another out of that overflow. When we teach one another, we do it out of love. I have a few aunties in the house of the Lord and I'm not going to look at them. They admonished me in the early days, yeah? You understand, they were not slow in coming forward in giving me feedback about my heart, about my attitude, whether I wanted to hear it or not. I got it in the neck <laughs> and the back. I'm still carrying those scars. Lord, forgive them. <laughs> they loved me. They loved me so much that they didn't want me to stay where I was with a bad attitude, entitlement, arrogance, self-centeredness, bad language. So they spoke into my life. They admonished me. God bless you, Elizabeth. 
as God's chosen people, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We've got to correct our thoughts. We've got to shape our attitudes. We've got to change our behaviors and how we interact with each other. You can choose the better ground. You can choose to serve and love the way Christ has called you to. Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The more you read and reflect on God's word, the more you are drawn to God's word and you allow the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 to 23 to emerge. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But we read at the end of verse 16, he says, with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing to God with gratitude in your heart. A small confession. In the office, I play worship music like all day, every day. You understand? If you come to Summit House, I have my worship music on. And people wonder, does this guy get any work done? Because he's always singing under his breath or out loud or whatever. It just is on. Why? Because I know that that's building me up. My heart is pointing to the right things. The posture of my heart is clean. I'm focusing my heart and mind on the Lord Jesus. And actually, I think I get more work done with the music on than when the music is off in the name of Jesus Christ. (laughs) And that is our reality. So what's the conclusion? Verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to the Father. We have a call. We have a commission to develop and mature one another. And I have to be honest, the three words there, whatever you do, is problematic for me. It's really broad. It's really general. And I think it's Paul basically saying, hey, this applies to everything in your life. You ain't going to give me no excuses, no explanations about why you won't demonstrate Christ. You have the autonomy and the authority to decide what you want today. What you don't change, you choose. And you will never find freedom from the things that you constantly give excuses for. And some of us in the house of the Lord today, you've got to be willing to pay the price for your conviction. And so I want to leave you with three things, three thoughts. Maybe you're here today and you need to decide decisively to respond to God's call by demonstrating to others compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Who in your circles of your life need you to reflect and demonstrate those things this week? The reality is in a room this large, there's at least one that's probably applicable for every one of us for at least one person. Statistical certainty. Who here needs your compassion? Who here needs your forgiveness? What you practice, you'll get really good at. So if you practice not forgiving, you're going to get really proficient in that. I guarantee it. If you practice compassion, you're going to get very, very good at reflecting compassion. Not just to homeless people on the street or in other special scenarios, but you'll demonstrate compassion in each and every moment of your life. The small things. Somebody cuts in the line in front of you at Starbucks. Somebody steals your seat on the tube. Someone's pram ran over your new shoes. (laughs) It don't matter. 
You'll be amazed. It's only the smallest things like that that call us to lack compassion. Yeah? You got born again. Your flesh didn't. Don't forget that. Every day. Every day. You've got to renew your mind and cleanse your heart. Every day. Nobody here has got it all worked out. And if they do, they're either lying to you or they're deceived. Who here needs your compassion? Who here needs to come into right relationship with family members, friends, colleagues? Where it's not about who's right, who's wrong. It's about two broken souls connecting together at the bloodstained cross of Calvary and saying, you know what, I love you, man. I'm sorry for what I did or what I said. Can I walk in right relationship with you now? Number two, who needs to let the peace of God rule in their hearts and therefore their lives? How do you intend to let God's peace rule in your heart in every situation? Because the world we live in, you're getting a plethora of information on your cell phone, at work, on the internet, all day, every day. You are just swamped with information in how we can or cannot respond in different moments and situations. Some of us here, we need more of God's word and what I mean by that is we don't need to memorize more scripture, we need to live more scripture out. Yeah? I can quote chapter and verse for you, it doesn't mean I believe it, it just means I know it. Very big distinction. And number three, in this month of thankfulness, what are you truly thankful for? How will you demonstrate your thankfulness, not just to God, but to his people? Who are you going to bless and serve? You know, the Americans, they do this great thing, they pay it forward, right? So, you know, you're in, a, you're in a shop or whatever and they just pay for the items in the, for the person in front of them or behind them or whatever it is. Who here are you going to bless this week? Who here are you going to love? Who here are you going to serve? And I want to commend to you that you need to put all three of those things to prayer. You will never achieve more in your Christian walk than your prayer life permissions. So if you don't value those things, you won't pray into them. But I wonder this afternoon if we can return to the heart of worship, let him build our lives, let our lives be clothed in Christ. And if you're here today and anything of what I said is applicable to you, any one of those three areas, in this room, maybe you'll stand alone. I'm going to stand. Would you stand? And you're like, yep, Scott, I need to respond to that. My heart is sick. I'm lacking compassion to my boss at work. I'm struggling to demonstrate patience to my wife. I'm lacking gentleness with my children. I'm harboring unforgiveness. I, I know the word of God really well, but I don't live it out. I've got no peace because I'm living in battle mode. I've got to be right, I've got to be heard, I've got to be first. Jesus calls us to surrender. And surrender is hard because it means we relinquish control. But we serve a God who is both the Alpha and the Omega. He is first, he is last, and he holds your entire world in the palm of his hand. This is the God that flung stars into space. I think he knows how to care for you. Amen? Amen? I think he's in control. But today, here in this place, in your own way,
Decide what you need to let go of. Decide to release forgiveness. Decide to reconcile. Decide to love. Decide to have compassion. It's a heart choice. And may the Lord Jesus bless you and give you his peace that goes beyond understanding so that you can be clothed in Christ and glorify his name for his glory and for the extension of his